Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. I'm sure it's coming on any second there. Good morning. My name is uh, Beth Guckenberger, and it's my joy to be with you all this week. We are in a revival series that we're going to be talking about revival. And um, before we jump into it, I wanted to say just a couple of things. David just talked a minute about election and how that upcoming day and what it can do. But there's another day that divides the church almost, I mean, I don't know about just as much, who's qualifying anything. But on Tuesday, the 31st of October, people within the church have big feelings about that day. And they have big opinions and they, I'm not gonna tell you, I'm not like, we're not up here gonna talk about all that. Here's what I wanna leave you the impression of. It has the potential to be your most evangelistic night of the year in your neighborhood. Uh, you, you can sit out on your front porch and meet your neighbors and get their names and exchange some, some start of a conversation that you can build on when you see them walking in the neighborhood or you, or you take them something for Thanksgiving or you send them a Christmas card or you see them in the spring. You can find out their kids' names. You can ooh and awe over those children. You, 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 you know, we spend so much time like, how can we get in relationship with that? Like, how can I introduce myself to that neighbor? You don't even have to go to them. They literally will come to you. And so... <laughs> Think about it in, as an, the, like the missionary in me wants to say, don't miss the opportunity to leave an impression with your neighbors um, of the God that you love. So uh, that's, that's what I wanted to say about Tuesday. Um, also, this is Family Sunday. It's a, it's a full house today. So if I haven't met you yet, I have a whole household full of children. So over the last 30 years, I've developed a very strong filter. I don't even hear them sometimes. So do not... <laughs> Do not shush your children. Do not in any way pinch their legs, you know, nothing of that. Like, if they make noise, if they squirm and move around, I'm all, I'm all for it. I like that. So um, don't feel in any way like they're not welcome. In fact, we designed today's service specifically with them in mind. But I'm going to tell you a story today, and we're going to actually act out the story. At the beginning of the day, I was like, I had polished hair and everything. This is like the end of the morning. I'm like hair tied up, all hot and sweaty, because we are going to... We're gonna work for the candy this morning, but um, I read a, a, a study recently that says that we're 22 times more likely to remember something when it's been embedded in a story. And so we are in a revival series. We're talking about the minor prophets. We'll end our time together in the book of Zephaniah, but I want to tell you a story and I'm gonna use some kids to do it because I think that's an effective way for us to remember what revival actually is. I'm gonna tell you a story about a revival that I witnessed with my own eyes. Again, if I haven't met you yet, I was a missionary in Mexico for 15 years. We've been working there over 25. And I just wanna start with the punchline. Do not let the story I tell you today ever scare you away from going on a mission trip, okay? Because <laughs> this story, first of all, uh, t happened in 2011. And so we're like a whole decade past then. Uh, North Star successfully sent a team there this summer. This, is a, this was a unique period of time in the 26 years that I have been there. I also want to just before, just to frame up the story, um, help you understand that Monterey is not the only country that has, or city that has experienced the, the, the result of an organized crime disruption. So in every city of the world, including our own, we have organized crime. We have people who have send to the extent that they actually have made a business around it. And in any kind of organized crime, what happens is they actually, I mean, I, this is not the right phrase, honor among thieves, but they actually have agreements. Like you can have the airstrip, we'll have the port. You can have the north side, we're gonna have the left side. And even when there are warring crime families in a community, they have agreements. And, that's, and there is generally 
some peace among that. But when there's a disruption in one of those organizations, then everybody begins to vie for what they either had and don't wanna lose or never had and now want. And so if we were just going to paint a picture and just for the sake of the minute, like you all are one cartel and you all are another cartel. This story happened right here in the middle of those two cartels, okay? The, the, the result of the fighting of these two bodies created a disruption in that city that was remarkable. In 2011, we had 1, a little over 1,800, 1,879 assassinations in the city. And that's a lot of people dying. And there are people that found themselves right between these two warring cartels. And in the midst of that storyline, I mean, first of all, in Mexico, we like a lot of things, but we really like two things, soccer and tacos. And <laughs> most of the adult soccer leagues don't happen until the evening after you know everybody's shifts are over. So in 2011, things got so dark that actually the, the adult soccer leagues got canceled. Nobody was playing soccer at night. Um, that, that gets your attention right away. And most of the, at least the best taco stands don't even open until nine o'clock. And so those things were not opening. And so by uh, the story that I'm gonna tell you is going to start in the summer of 2011. And by the summertime of 2011, we were halfway through those 1800 assassinations. People weren't eating, so weren't eating tacos and they weren't playing soccer. And I'm, I, I need a couple of volunteers as I tell you what happened. The first person that I need, well, can I have a kid volunteer? And I got candy, come on up, buddy. The first person um, that I'm gonna introduce to you is a pastor friend of mine. As we know, women can preach, come on up. Just kidding. <laughs> In the true story, it was a man, his name was Salatiel, but this is the biggest Bible I own. So I just brought it because I really wanted you to look like a pastor, okay? So um, this pastor friend of mine had a dream and when God talks to us in dreams, which he does do sometimes, we certainly see that in our Bibles, and I think probably many of you could testify to that experience here today. Sometimes he's trying to get our attention in a way that he hasn't gotten when, he was, when we were awake. So he wants to give us a picture or give us a, an indication of something that might come. And so my, my friend, the pastor, had a dream in the summer of 2011 and in that dream, he pictured himself praying over the police force in our city. And he woke up and told his wife, like, I think, I think that God wants me to pray over our police force. And his wife was like, well, I mean, do we even know anybody in the police force? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. And he, we now know, I mean, he's told me that like in the month or so that followed that dream, what he did was he, he was at a coffee shop one time and he saw a whole bunch of officers eating at a table. And he'd been trying to meet officers all month and there's not a lot of great ways to meet them, right? I mean, you have to kind of do the wrong thing to get in their attention. And so he decided he was gonna pick up their check and then that would be maybe an entree into a conversation. Well, he picked up their check and they thought he was trying to bribe them and that did not go very well. And so he said, <laughs> okay, I'll just go ahead, Lord, and let you introduce me to someone. So um, I need another volunteer. Perfect, come on up. Actually, I'm gonna get all my volunteers. Come on up. I need another volunteer. Okay, yep, I need it. Yep, she can come on up. Yep, come on up. Yep, yep, come on up. Okay, I see you back there. Come on up, waving hands. Perfect, okay. Um, here's what I need. I need, you can come here. You're gonna be the police chief. Okay, you're gonna be a mayor. You can go stand all, like, kind of far over there. Um, you can be a worship leader. 
um, okay, you three, you're on the police force and you, he is your boss, okay? So stand behind him and just kind of look like what you think police officers look like, kind of fierce or whatever, you know? Like they're about to take you down. Um, I need one more volunteer, come on up. Um, you're gonna be the mayor, and I don't know why this morning this felt like the mayor to me, but this does, okay? So let me just review to you who you have up here in your cast of characters. You have my friend who's a pastor, okay? And this person is the worship leader in his church. We'll talk about that in a minute. And this is the police chief, and these are three of his fierce force force people. And then this is the mayor of the town. And then if this, the city I was living in, Monterey, think like Cincinnati, although it's much bigger, it's more like the, the size of Chicago. But in that city, you know how like in Cincinnati, we have like Mason and Westchester and Loveland and all the different kind of municipalities that make up the whole city. So you're the mayor of like, let's just say Loveland. Like you're just, you're the mayor of like a smaller part of a larger city. And you're gonna think I've forgotten about you, I haven't. You're the mayor of all of Cincinnati. You're kind of the big cheese over there, exactly. <laughs> so we'll get to you, but you're gonna think I didn't. So let's just review to make sure everybody understands. This is the? <laughs> of Loveland. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Just so you know who it is we're talking about. Yes, there is candy at the end, I promise. Okay. <laughs> so my friend is like, okay, we're trying to meet police officers, didn't work out. He was uh, preaching one Sunday. We like to stand right here when we preach. He was preaching one Sunday, and a, a, a leader in the church came up and passed him a note. And the note said, keep everybody safe and in the building because something's happening outside the building surrounded by the police force. So you guys can come out here and kind of surround this general area. You look fierce, okay? And so pastors don't usually need to be told to like keep everybody captive. You just started all over again at the beginning and you know, you just wanted to do your sermon twice. And this had been kind of common in those days. I could be at the grocery store. I could be at the movie theater. I could be at a store. And if one of those 1800 incidents happened somewhere in our near vicinity, they would shut the whole place down. They would lock everybody in while they investigated or cleaned up or did whatever they had to. And so when he got a note that said there the police had surrounded the building, the assumption was very natural to make something had happened in the streets outside of the church and he needed to keep his flock safe inside while that was going down. Well, as you wound up to do your sermon all over again, then that, leader, that same leader came back and passed another note that said, it's safe to go, you can let everybody out. There's not been an incident, but the chief of police is in the building, he's in the congregation, and outside it's just his work, for his, his security detail is out there keeping everybody safe. And so this pastor did something that we don't do today, I promise I won't do it this morning here in Loveland, but the pastor said, if anybody here is here for the first time, if anybody here is new today, I'd like you to come forward because I would like to pray for you and our leaders would like to pray for you. So 11 people came forward, they were there for the first time, including the police chief, you can kind of kneel down right there. And the leaders began to pray over them and pray, you know, like blessings, all the kinds of things you pray over people. And then while you were praying over him, you felt like the Lord talked to you. Do you guys think God talks to us? See, yes. See, yes. <laughs> Very on target. Devil candy for you, okay, yes, yes. He does talk to us. And sometimes he talks to us through his word, right? Sometimes he talks to us in worship. Sometimes he talks to us in our dreams. Sometimes he talks to us in prayer. But don't ever get the impression he doesn't talk to us. He's, he's always talking to us. And he talked to you and he said to you something that you are gonna whisper in this police chief's ear. He says to you that he has saved this chief's life. 
He spared his life for the season he's about to enter into. Like, he could have died, but instead God has saved his life because he has a big plan for him. So you're gonna say that to that police chief. You think that would feel good if, that, if you heard that? I think that'd feel kind of good. Like, what does God have for me? Like, what in the world is next, right? So you hear that. Okay, you get out. After the service, you come up here and you're talking. Now you're, you two are the star of the story. Here we go. So you guys are talking and you're like, oh my gosh, I've been trying to meet a police officer forever and I'm so excited that you're at my church. And like, here's the deal. I had this dream and can I come over and can I pray at your police station? I'd like to pray over your officers. And you kind of had like an annoyed look on your face. Maybe, I don't know how good you, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that one's well practiced. And uh, he said... I mean, I don't know if you know, but like I just got in town three days ago because your last police chief was killed last week. And so I'm new here in town from Cancun and I have hardly met my police force, but everyone I've met doesn't really seem like anybody wants you to come pray over them. So I don't like, I don't think it's gonna really work out. But pastors don't take no for an answer like very well. And so he continued to persist until finally the police chief said, fine. Can you just say fine? Fine. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) fine. And you told him, that, that he could come on a Saturday morning at, at seven o'clock because the night shift and the day shift come together at that seven o'clock hour. And that's when they make all their uh, announcements and their station. And then the night shift goes home and the day shift begins their day. It's the one time when everybody's all in the same place. And you said to the pastor, I'll give you five minutes. You do whatever you want with your five minutes. You want to pray over them, talk to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it, that's it, you guys. That's right, no more and no less. And so on Saturday morning, Zalatiel got all prepared and he, he got ready to face the whole police station and he began to share the basics of the gospel and it was really exciting. And do you think that anybody responded to it? They didn't, you're exactly right. Everybody just stood at attention. Nobody raised their hand, nobody talked to him afterwards. Nobody was like, oh, that touched my heart. Nothing happened. Everything that you did resulted in nothing. But you know what happens? When you do what God has asked you to do, there's joy in your heart. So Southtail comes bounding out of that station, like this is amazing, and this is the best thing that ever happened. And the police chief's like, what are you talking about? Nobody even responded to you. And he's like, can I please come back next week? That was awesome. And the police chief's like, because it went so well today? Like, why, why would you want to do that again? But when God asks you to do something, we have two choices, yes or no, right? And you, you're gonna do the right thing. And so all throughout the fall of 2011, like this happened in August, so August, September, now into October, he's going every Saturday morning for five minutes. He's building every week on week who Jesus is, his character, his history, the covenants, our future, all the stuff. And you were praying one day about like, what should I do? What should I talk about this Saturday? And the Lord talked to you, because he does that, right? We already know that. And the Lord said, "Uh, I want you to bring a worship leader with you. And so, here she comes. And so, the worship leader, they still only have five minutes, so you get two and a half and you get two and a half. These people don't know our, they don't know the songs. They're not even used to like singing in unison together, so it kind of more looks like special music. But of the five minutes, you play, go ahead, yeah, it's in tune, it's perfect, yeah. Two and a half minutes, there's a little worship that's going on, and then building on that worship is some more of the gospel truth. And it wasn't like anybody like, you know, raised their hands, closed their eyes, did any of that kind of stuff. But there was a sense of peace because you were doing exactly what the Lord asked you. That happened through, this, through the balance of October, November, December. Now we're in January of 2012. And one Saturday morning while the worship song was playing, please force you can stand in front of them, all four of you, yep. 
chief, everybody, listening to the music, getting ready to hear your few minutes of the pastor talk, one of these officers fell down to the ground. Or two. <laughs> you can do it, both of you can fall, it's fine. It was a good day. <laughs> yeah. Yes, one of the officers fell to the ground and this is a room of first responders. So everybody went like rushing over to, to the person that fell on the ground. They thought they'd had some kind of medical incident. But instead, the pastor knew and said to the police chief, don't worry, I know what this is. Someone has become overcome with the spirit of God. And if that's like an unfamiliar thing to you, that can happen sometimes in worship. The spirit can come on you so thick you fall to your knees. You don't even have to be singing. This officer wasn't even singing, but the spirit of God had impressed himself to the point that he went down. And so the police chief, you can come up here, you got very excited. You're like, oh my gosh, here's what I think is happening. Yes, exactly. Here's exactly what I think is happening. I think that like actually people are listening and they are responding and the spirit of God is moving, but they just don't have the leadership skills to know how to ask questions or to raise their hand or to stand out in a crowd or to know what to do. And so here's what I think we need to do. We, let's teach him about the biblical character of David. He is some, what do we know about David? Do we know anything about David? Um, he's a leader. He's a leader. Yep. What else do we know about David? He um, fought Goliath. He fought Goliath, right? Yep. He was, he's eventually a king, absolutely. He was a leader, he was a warrior, he was a man after God's own heart, he was unafraid in a battle. And so the police chief was like, here's what I think I wanna do. Like, instead of just on Saturdays for five minutes, let's do it every day, the month of February. Let's, I'm gonna give you 30 minutes, Salatiel. I want you to teach them a leadership course based on the person of David. We'll teach him about how he's a man after God's own heart and he's a leader and he's unafraid in battle. Because at this point, February of 2012, the crime and the cartel war had grown so significant that our federal government had sent in the National Guard to our city to help maintain peace. And we also knew at this point the, the, the darkness was so thick on the land, we were losing 26 officers' lives a month in this war. It was hard and everybody could feel it. And so the police chief was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We are gonna do this in the month of February. So the month of February, every day at roll call, 30 minutes, you taught on the person of David. Do you think that would be a lot of work? I promise you it would be. Yes, that was a lot of work. And so in the middle of that whole bunch of work, he was just wondering like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? What do you have for me? On the last day of February, 2012, the police chief handed out certificates because people had completed this leadership course on the person of David. And he made an announcement that everybody already knew that in the month of February, 2012, no officers' lives were lost. No officers' lives were lost. It's settled. And it wasn't like everyone here was ready to join the worship band or lead a small group or anything, but they did want whatever this guy was bringing into the house. Like, hey, you and your Bible, you keep coming. Like, I don't know, I don't even understand what's happening, but I want more of that to be happening here. And so the police chief said, okay, this is it. This is what we're gonna do. I want you to come here every day. And during this time, so think this is now like February 28th of 2012, March, April, we were seeing articles in the newspaper that there was unprecedented victory victory and arrest coming out of this particular police station. So imagine if like Loveland was solving the world's, the city's crime, you know, like, I mean, if you're a Loveland police officer, I bet you're amazing. But like, that's not, it's, it was like, it was like, a, it was getting people's attention. It was actually embarrassing some of our National Guard and people were paying attention to something is happening in the city of Guadalupe. 
Well, Salatiel, if he was here, he would tell you, March 1st, the day after that announcement was made, is the day this story turned because he realized he couldn't keep doing it at this pace. He couldn't do it every day for 30 minutes. He had like a whole church to take care of. He had a bunch of other responsibilities. So he got all of his faith community, his other pastor friends in the neighborhood, all of the other leaders he knew together in a room. And he passed out a paper uh, calendar and he said, here's what's been happening since last fall in the police station. And here's where I need help. We're gonna have to divide up this and we're gonna go there every single day from like here until whoever, and we're gonna bring the basics of the gospel to them and I want you to teach them about the miracles of Jesus and the parables of Jesus and what Jesus tells us is going to happen and what is yet to come and we're gonna teach them about the characters of the covenant and the patriarchs. We're gonna teach this church, this, this station, the Bible and I don't want you to invite them to your church, which that sounds kind of weird, right? Why would you not invite them to church? He said, I want you to bring the church to them. And so all throughout, that's smart, I was thinking, yep. So all throughout March, April, May, June, July, at this point, every single day, the, the police force of Guadalupe is getting ministered to by the faith community. And by June and July of that year, we're eating tacos at night and we're playing soccer again. And things were moving in the right direction. And people were, were experiencing all the things that happened in revival, breakthrough, healing, freedom. It's like, it was amazing. You're welcome to smile and not scowl now. You can look at them and smile if you want to. Yeah, okay. Now we're into the fall of 2012. And does everybody remember who he is? He's the mayor. So he had just gotten elected, right? And one of his first political responsibilities is that he's supposed to give the keys of the city to like somebody, right? And that's something kind of weird because our cities don't have doors, so why do we need to have keys? But it's like just this like political act politicians do but when they're trying to honor someone who's had a great impact, influence, done something of excellence in their city. And so he is like, I know it, like I know I should give it to someone over there, but I don't know who to give. So he invites the police chief and Salatiel over into his office. Come on in, yep, pastor. Um, you're probably guarding him, but you're actually not in the office. Yeah, you're just, yeah, taking care of him. And uh, yeah, you're just like a little bit outside the door. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the mayor says to these two community leaders, I know somebody should be getting the keys of the city, but I don't really know among your community, like who, who do you think it should be? Like, should it be you, Salatiel? Because like kind of, I think you started this or it should be you, police chief, because you're now leading this unbelievable police force. And he named a couple other people. He's like, I don't really know who to pick. I'd like you all to decide amongst yourself. Who would you like to give credit for, for what's happening in the town of Guadalupe? Who do you guys think it should be? That's exactly right. Salatiel said to him, you'd like to know who I think gets credit for what's happening in the city? There's only one person who gets credit for what's happening in the city, and that is, tell them what you just said to me. God. God. He said, I, liked, I think you should, Salatiel said to the mayor, I think you should give the keys of the city to Jesus Christ. And the mayor's like, you think my first political act should be that I give the keys of the city to Jesus Christ? And he said, if you want to give it to who is responsible for what's been happening here in our city, that's exactly who you should give it to. And in case you all think I'm making the whole thing up, I brought a video of what it looked like when the mayor gave the keys of the city to Jesus Christ. Es por eso que hoy yo, César Garza Villarreal, presidente municipal de Ciudad Guadalupe, entrego la ciudad de Guadalupe, Nuevo León, a nuestro Señor Jesucristo.
so here's what happens at these political events. Like the front row is like roped off. It's like reserved seating for uh, like professional people. And the, sitting in the front is like the mayor of Mason and the mayor of Indian Hill and the mayor of Madeira and the mayor of Finneytown and the mayor of all the places around. And they're watching, I cut that video off, eight minutes, the city of Guadalupe cheered for Jesus Christ. These people in the front row are like, hey, I'm like, my key thing is next week. I'm giving my keys to Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> And so I want you to picture a city where one by one throughout the fall of 2012, the, the keys of the city were given into the hands of Jesus Christ all around the city. The faith community began to rally around and worship and pray and teach the gospel in front of law enforcement, in schools, on public stairs. And we were seeing the fruit of revival begin to bubble up. Well, now you're into January 2013. And of all those municipalities, there was one community that had not been responsive or engaged in any of this work in the past year plus. And that was the city proper. That was the, that'd be like downtown Cincinnati. So in January of 2013, Salatiel, where is he? Here he is, yep, reading his Bible, perfect. Okay, so Sal, he gets a, he gets a call from the mayor, or from the police chief of Monterey who says, are you available? I'll give you five minutes on a Saturday if you'd like to come speak to my troops. I've been hearing about what's happening among, um, among the work in Guadalupe. And Salatel, do you think you said yes to that? Absolutely. Every time we get invited to dark places, we say yes. So, so he said yes, and he went on a Saturday morning in January, and he was given five minutes, and 1,400 people stood at attention and listened to him share the basics of the gospel. And afterwards, I, I'll play me now. I was like, how'd it go? And he's like, well, I mean, like nobody said anything. Like nobody raised their hand, nobody talked to me, nobody, no, like there was nobody, who, it really was not anything. And I said, I'm really sorry. Like, are you discouraged? What do you think you're gonna do? And he said, I'm gonna wait a month and bring a worship leader. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. And throughout February, March, April, May, and into June, Salatiel and a worship leader began to minister on Saturday mornings to the police force of Monterey. And in July of 2013, the mayor, you can come stand here in a more prominent position, the mayor of, of Monterey proper in front of a nationally televised audience, she was a woman, she opened up her Bible and she read it, here you can use mine, she read it, uh, the, a whole entire chapter of the book of Isaiah in front of the whole entire republic. And she dedicated the entire city and all of its citizens into the hands of Jesus Christ. And not everybody even understood what they were looking at. In fact, the next day, the headline of our paper said, if you turn on your water and it tasted like wine, you can thank the mayor. <laughs> Give a round of applause, you guys, to these. Here. You can hold it. Organized crime, you know, at every level, every single level. Oh, that's good sharing. You can leave your props over there on the table. That sounds great. <laughs> and as I watched that story unfold, I saw, bye, you are amazing. You can continue to protect me if you'd like, but I feel pretty good up here. Okay. God showed me a couple of things I just want to make sure you heard baked into that story and the telling of that story. The first thing is that revival leads to worship and worship ends up leaving, leading to revival. And I don't necessarily mean, like I love me some K-love, but I'm not even talking about worship in the way that we might traditionally think of worship. Here's what's happening in the world. We were made to worship. 
And if we worship God, blessing ensues. This is, we sit inside of his storyline and even in the midst of valleys and even in the midst of storylines we don't like and we can't control, the spirit of God will rest with us. But if we make the decision to worship something other than God, there are consequences that follow that. If we hold on to those idols, if we give ourselves over to another thing. So if we want revival, we need to worship, we need to submit, we need to get rid of the models. And we need to say, Lord, whatever it is that you have for me, I want it. And when we decide, when we're in a family, a city, a country, whatever, whatever population you want to imagine a revival is needed in, if we're in the middle of one of those bodies and things are falling apart, and the consequences and the chaos of people's sin choices is wrecking havoc on God's kids. There is always a point in revival where God says enough, enough, enough. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth and he's searching for someone whose heart is completely his. And when he yells enough, he's looking down, who is it out there who has decided to worship me? I only need one person. Like if I can find that one person whose heart is, is, is fully devoted to me, then I can do what we might consider an inciting incident. Revivals involve inciting incidents. Somebody who's been praying, somebody who's been willing to sacrifice, somebody who's been willing to make a stand. If you read revivals both biblically and in our modern history, the inciting incident is somebody whose heart was completely his and who felt inside of their own spirit that this is enough, this is enough. People are hurting too much. And then what, in, what follows that inciting incident? And what I, what I want you to go home with the impression of today, that no matter, no matter how God uses particular people for particular purposes to accomplish his particular goals, the star of the story is always God. Always God, beware of somebody who tries to take credit for something only God can do. Only God protects, only God blesses, only God unites. Those are God kind of activities. If man takes credit for it, revival gets snuffed out. If you give God credit for what only God can do, there's nothing that is not possible. We can see miraculous things. And revival, it's in line with God's storyline, right? What is, God, what is God talking about for 66 straight books? He's talking about reconciliation, people to him, people to each other. He's talking about redemption. Right? He's talking about uh, restoration. He's talking about rescue. He's talking about repair. These are God's storylines. In contrast, we have an enemy with his own storylines. Right? Instead of reconciliation, he likes conflict. Instead of redemption, he likes condemnation. Instead of restoration, he likes destruction. He likes loss. He likes brokenness. When we see those patterns, that, that destruction, condemnation, brokenness, loss, revival is needed. How do we instigate an incident of revival? We begin to worship him. We give him credit for what we see happening. And in this series, we've been studying the minor prophets and I want you to see in those 12 minor prophets in our Bible, just like we see it in the major prophets, just like we see it in 2023 here, it's the same exact pattern. God's kids are doing the right thing. It's amazing. And then they begin to worship the wrong thing. The Bible calls it idols, but we know exactly what that looks like in 2023, when we begin to build our own kingdom and rely on our own skills. And so God's kids do the right thing, then God's kids do the wrong thing. And God's trying to talk to them. We already established in our story, God talks to us. He's trying to talk to them. Turn your ways, repent, come back to me. That's not the right way. Consequences ensue. You're gonna get lost. You're gonna go into captivity. You're gonna get destroyed. 
and they stop listening to him because they like their own God. And so God tries to get their attention further with prophets who speak on his behalf, who warn them, don't do it anymore. And in those 12 prophets, what will happen, 12 minor prophets, what will happen is some people will never respond to God's voice. They like sacrificing their blemished lambs. They like worshiping other idols. They like being married to many women of other gods. They like, they like, their, they like what they like. And their appetite is of their flesh. But some people will respond to God's voice. And biblically, that is called a remnant. And then God always rebuilds with the remnant. He always has, he always will. This is his nature. And that remnant, if you get discouraged reading any of the minor prophets, go to the last chapter of every one of them. They're amazing. He's gonna restore the years of locusts of Eden. He's gonna have calves leaping out of the stalls like with new breath. He's gonna, he's gonna water the gardens that have been barren. Like he's, he, whatever metaphor he uses, the message is the same. If you come to me, I will restore and redeem and reconcile and repair and return you. I, I, like this is what I want. Just my eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth. Do I, like, can I find you? fully mine. There's no telling what he can do when we say that. So as we look at the end of Zephaniah, there's a part where we hear the cry of his heart, because in Zephaniah, God's kids were doing the right thing. King Josiah, who gets a lot of attention for being the right thing, he was trying to take idols out of that kingdom. And Zephaniah was telling them, if you don't, you'll fall into captivity. If you don't, Babylon will come get you. If you don't, and then finally, there is a remnant who responds. And God says to them things like, I will, Zephaniah chapter three, verse 14, I will take away your punishment. You don't have to be fear. I'm with you. I am a mighty warrior who saves you. I will take great delight in you. I will no longer rebuke you. I will rejoice over you with singing. This is his heart. Even in the middle of the Old Testament, which people complain about all the time, is full of all this destruction and death and war. Listen to me, in the middle of it, he's saying, I'm a savior, I'm a delighter, I'm a rejoicer, I'm a singer of, of revival over you. Come back to me. Don't throw up your hands and walk away. Don't look at something and judge it. Don't join the shenanigans. Listen and obey. I got a good story for you. Listen and obey. I got an unbelievable track record. Listen and obey. There's nothing that's too far gone for me. No storyline that's too hard. I can, I can breathe life into any kind of dry bones. This is who I am. And as I've been listening to this series and as I have been preparing for this message, I've been asking myself, where do I wanna see revival? I told you a couple months or so ago that I have a burgeoning prodigal. I wanna see him come home. I wanna see this city. We rally around football teams and soccer teams. Can we rally around the cross? I was yesterday in Washington, D.C. getting a tour of all these some of the na national buildings that have Bible verses etched in them and have been there for a very long time. This nation was built on God's principles. I wanna see revival in our land. It's possible. We already know what to do. We want God to find us. We want him to find us faithful. We wanna listen to when he talks to us and we wanna be invited into an inciting incident where God gets the glory. This is how this actually works. And as we finish our time together today, I wanna to read you the end of the Zephaniah. And I want um, those of you who know how to read, if you see a word underlined, that's your part. I'll read all the other parts. But I wanna make sure you leave here with the impression God gets all, he does all the work. He does all the glory. He, he, he does everything. That There's no formula that we can use in order to instigate 
a, a, a revival. I hear sometimes people say things that sound like the equivalent of like, I'm not gonna eat all week and I'm gonna stand on one foot and I'm gonna grab a couple of friends and I'm gonna close one eye and I'm gonna say this one verse and then I'm gonna hope for this thing and then boom, I'm gonna get revival. Like, we can't manipulate God. There is no dial that we turn. He's looking at the posture of our heart. He's listening for the willingness of our spirit. Will we sacrifice? Will we pray? Will we lean into something? Will we take a stand? Like, what, what is it he's asking us to do? Will we do it? If we do our part, then listen to what he will do as his part. I think you guys are first. Here we go. Remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden or reproach for you. And at that time, deal with all who oppressed you. Rescue the lame. Gather the exiles. Give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. The, the, do you understand the burden of this storyline sits on him? But he's got some good shoulders. At that time, gather you. And at that time, bring you home. Give you honor and praise among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. This is his storyline. He's an, he's an I will restorer. He's an I will repayer. He's an I will give her back or I will begin again. I will bless you. I will give you hope. I, this is who he is. He loves us. And he's asking North Star, will we be part of the remnant? Will we forsake our idols? Will we say yes to him? And will we tell the kinds of stories that he likes to tell through us for the rest of our days? Would you join me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you, first of all, that you never tire of calling us back to you. That you don't throw up your hands and say, another generation of people who are feeding their appetite with the wrong kinds of things. Another generation of people who are busy boasting about the kingdom they have built themselves. You don't look at us like that. You are whispering to us in our dreams. You are whispering to us when we're on our knees. You are whispering to us in worship. You are talking to us through your word. You are calling us home. Say, Lord Jesus, we hear you and our hands are raised. Write us into your story. Whatever you wanna do with us, we are available to you. Bring revival to this church. Bring revival to this community. May this revival and this community impact our city. May later people talk about not what this church did, what this person did, what this city did. May, God may people talk about what it is that you have done. We will tell of your good deeds. So Jesus, it is with the authority I have as a co-heir with you that I ask that you would release an anointing on every person here in the house and watching online that they would feel like they have fresh eyes, a fresh anointing, a fresh sense of calling, a fresh sense of hope where revival is possible, an appetite and a hunger for your word and an understanding of what it means to follow you, Lord Jesus. That is the seeds and the fruit of revival. So we come to you today in worship and we bless and praise your resurrected name, Jesus. Amen. We all stand, please. As we respond, as we do every week, um, we're going to aim in lots of ways, but definitely in worship. Wasn't that an amazing story when the two and a half minutes that the worship leader had, two and a half minutes that the 
pastor had the Lord eased out over top of with awakening over his city. For those who are prepared to pray, prayer teams, would you all come up front here and find your space, please? <clears throat> For the rest of us, I want to encourage you to take a step, as we do every week. It might be to come up to the broken bread and the poured out cup, blood of Jesus, and to remember him afresh and ask the God of revival, he who is the initiator of revival, to come and do it in you. Come and do it in your family. Come and do it here. For some of you, you've just something is stirring on you, something has touched you, and I would encourage you, let's come. Come up here and let's pray alongside where we can agree with you and that. When we start asking for God to come, He always comes, but if He comes in a manifest way, it's wonderful and it's terrible at the same time because there's lots of things that get moved. So let's put our hands up for it. Let's respond.